0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to be talking about the Our Care, Our Choice Act. This has been passed for the last couple of years, and there are some modifications that may improve access for the residents right here in Hawaii to be able to utilize this act if it is appropriate for them. We have Aubrey Hawk on the line. She is an advocate for Compassion and Choices Hawaii, and she's going to explain to us a little bit about the bill that was passed, where we're at now, and where we might be headed in the future. So thank you for joining me, Aubrey.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. Kozak. What a pleasure.
0: Well, we've talked about this for the last couple of years, but just to remind folks and me, tell me a little bit about this Our Care, Our Choice Act when it was passed, and what exactly it says.
1: Sure. Um, The Our Care, Our Choice Act is a law that was passed in our state in 2018. Governor Ige signed that into law almost exactly a year ago, on April 5th of 2018. Um, It took effect in January 1st of 2019. And what it does is it authorizes a practice called medical aid in dying in our state. Hawaii is one of 10 states plus, um, plus Washington, D.C. that uh, authorizes this practice. It allows a terminally ill patient who is a resident of Hawaii and has been given six months or less to live the option to request from their provider a prescription for medication that they can self-ingest, in order to die peacefully in their sleep. So this is for people who want to regain a little measure of control at the end of their life. Most often they've been fighting a battle with cancer. Sometimes it's neurological diseases. Um, But people who are looking to avoid that um, inevitable suffering that's just going to come with an extended period. Hawaii's people um, have been tr- had been trying to get a law like this passed since about 1996. Um, back then, Governor Ben Cayetano formed a Blue Ribbon Panel to explore this um, and other options for better end-of-life care for our aging population here. And since then, um, Hawaii had been fighting in the legislature and came pretty close, I believe, in 2011, again in 2017, and then um, we were blessed to get the help uh, of a man named John Radcliffe, whom many in the union um, and lobbying community will know and love. He uh, was diagnosed with cancer himself, and he became a staunch advocate for medical aid in dying for Hawai'i people, Um, and he was able to uh, see that law passed and, in fact, become one of the first people to actually utilize um, the Our Care, Our Choice Act so that he could pass away the way he wanted. Um, So now here we are four years after the law has taken effect, and we do see that the law is working and working very well, but only for those people who can access it. And accessing it, there's the rub. That's where it can be very difficult for someone, especially someone who's a neighbor island resident, let's say, or you know, sees an independent provider for their primary or even their specialized care. Um, it can be difficult to find a doctor to prescribe it's difficult to find a doctor, period, in Hawaii, as many of us know. And then it um, it can also be difficult just going through the process, and we can talk a little bit about those barriers in a bit. Um, but bottom line is the law works. It's just way too hard to access it.
0: Now, one of the things that we've talked about before is that we certainly aren't the only state. We weren't the first state to enact this This choice opportunity for the right individuals who unfortunately have been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and there's some other states from which we could learn some things so mm-hmm. thinking of some of the original requirements of the bill that required a couple of different parameters that you mentioned are a little difficult, particularly for those people on the neighbor island to access so what are some of those? basic parameters that made it more difficult for for those who who unfortunately didn't have the availability of physicians who were familiar with the act or even the geographic availability of physicians in general what are some of those particular provisions that caused some slight difficulties
1: sure so our law in order to qualify um you, one has to be terminally ill, six months or less to live. Resident of Hawaii, an adult, able to um, self-ingest the medication and most importantly, above all of that, needs to be uh, mentally capable of making their own medical decisions. Um, so this is a completely individual um, act. And um, in order to make the law safe and make sure people weren't making this decision rashly or out of a, you know, a, a knee-jerk reaction to a terminal diagnosis, uh, out of coercion perhaps by a family member, who, who knows. Um, some provisions are built into the law so that we, re- other states on the mainland require a 15-day waiting period between your first request that you must make of your provider and a second oral request you have to make. When we, our state reviewed this law in order to pass it, um, decided that they would like to make sure we were even safer. So ended up making that 15-day waiting period a 20-day waiting period. What we found uh, was that it, it is no safer. It is, in fact, an extended suffering period. So we, we have found that about a third of patients who who qualify for the law and make that first oral request pass away before that 20-day waiting period is up. So these are people who've done everything right and do qualify, and they just simply can't hang on long enough to have the death that they were hoping for. Um, So that's a big barrier. Um, Another barrier is the fact that um, Hawaii, with its severe Doctor shortage um, does have a law currently that um, limits only MDs to be the ones who can prescribe and support their patients who would like to take advantage of this law. Um, so we are um, really seeing that it can be very hard for someone to find a supportive doctor, um, even though telehealth is, you know, is acceptable with this law and, you know, with, with many other healthcare services. Um, It's just that, and part of that, part of that, I have to say is that there's just still an uptake of knowledge that the law is even available in this state. Um, But also it's just, it's, it's slow. It's slowly, but surely we do have more and more doctors coming on board, but it's still not enough. Um, So those are the two main barriers.
0: All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Aubrey Hawk, an advocate of compassion and choices, and talk a little bit about these barriers and how initiating a conversation earlier with your provider might actually make a difference. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
1: Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems, Hawaii.
0: Welcome back to the Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Aubrey Hawk on the line. She is an advocate for Compassion and Choices Hawaii, and we're talking about the Our Care, Our Choice Act. Initially passed in 2018 to be started in January of 2019, we now have several years of experience with what's happened with the individuals who have requested this, and we also can see some of the barriers that have unfortunately occurred since we've enacted the law. Now, right before the break, we were just talking about one of those barriers. And, you know, it just reminds me, Aubrey, that very often we talk about the opportunities to discuss things like advanced care planning or end-of-life planning with with physicians or with your provider. And even in the hospice community, we do see that very often people initiate these discussions maybe a little bit later than they could, meaning, you know, we We as providers need to take the initiative to give patients the safe space to say, if you want to talk about this, we're open to listening to your thoughts about it. And sometimes patients, unfortunately, they may need to advocate for themselves and say to their provider, I'd like to hear more about this, or I want to talk about this and sort of gauge what knowledge base their provider has about it. So, you know, I think not just relating to our care, our choice, or medical aid in dying, so many different medical topics, I think often aren't brought up early enough to really address them. And that that is a responsibility of providers as well to really, again, give patients the opening to say, did you want to talk about this? You know, right. advanced care planning, what if you had a terminal illness? How could I support you? So I do think that it's a combination of responsibility there. And there are definitely some improvements we could make it's it just it hurts me to think that a third of folks who finally made that initial request don't even live long enough to make a second request so one of the things yeah. you talked about is is that potentially shortening that duration of time if someone meets all the other criteria why make it 20 days? Why not make it even less than 15 days? I mean, if somebody is really suffering, then wouldn't we want to help them in any way possible? So you mentioned that there's, that's one barrier. What are some of the ways in which we are trying to, to overcome that as a state?
1: Sure. Um, it, you know, I have to reiterate what you just said. Um, talking to your providers now about your end-of-life wishes no matter how old you are, I mean, an advanced um, care directive, health care directive, anyone over 21 or over 18 should have one. Um, you know, and then as we get a little older, it's never too soon to talk to your providers about this. How do you feel about these options? What are What is available to me? And just start that conversation. Maybe you just start it in bits and pieces each visit. Um, but, yes, the waiting period um, is too long. In Hawaii, and there, that's, just, uh, that's just a fact. The Department of Health says so, The providing doctors who are currently helping patients with the law are, are also saying that. So what we are trying to do right now is um, pass a bill through this legislative session that will amend and improve our current law to um, shorten the waiting period from 20 days to five days. And I can tell you from personal experience as a volunteer patient navigator for some patients who are having trouble accessing the law, none of these people are approaching this decision rashly. It it is something that they have given considerable and very careful thought to, without exception. Um, And they still would have to go through all of the 16 or 17 steps and check marks and boxes that are required for any eligible patient. So by shortening the waiting period, we're not cutting any of those safeguards out. We are just decreasing the suffering period. So we'd like to go from 20 days to five days, and we are also looking to have the provider uh, be able to waive that waiting period if they, in their professional assessment, if the patient will not survive it. There is still a built-in 48-hour waiting period from the prescription um, being asked for to be able to be in hand, Um, but that that is definitely going to help with access.
0: Now, let's talk about your second barrier. You mentioned that there's a physician shortage, and we do know that, and it's felt astutely in a lot of our neighbor island communities, particularly as either physicians retire or, in some cases, pass away, and they don't have the coverage in that community. And if you're thinking of accessing something like the Our Care, Our Choice Act, you don't want to have to leave your community, Because that's where all your friends and family are. You want to be able to stay locally at home, which is kind of the goal and the idea of making sure that we provide this access. So, you know, I I think telemedicine has really revolutionized things quite a bit. It has allowed for different new novel approaches to doing evaluations and having things done, even on Oahu, if someone is on Molokai or if someone is on the Big Island and various different opportunities. But it, it doesn't it doesn't really work completely if we're just only allowing physicians to access this. What are some of the provisions looking at expanding the types of providers who could potentially participate in this?
1: Sure. So, so the law, um, the current law that's seeking to improve the act, I mean, the bill that's seeking to improve the act would also um, allow qualified advanced practice registered nurses to support their patients. Um, so that means um, these are these are healthcare providers who have an inordinate amount of additional uh, training and experience and already have the authorization by the state of Hawaii to do everything that's required of the provider under the Our Care, Our Choice Act, and that includes diagnosing, assessing, prognosis, um, and it includes um, prescribing Schedule II narcotics, which, are, which make up the drug cocktail in, in the medicine that's used. Um, so we um, agree that it is time to no longer prohibit them from serving to the, to the full um, scope of their practice. Um, that will definitely add more potential providers um, available in our state who can support people who wish to you know, pursue this option.
0: Now, you mentioned they do have all the legislative authority to do different actions. Do they not have the authority to be the official provider assisting someone with the medical aid in dying?
1: Correct. So the way the way the law is currently written, it just says you have to be a physician in order to participate with your patient under, under the law. So we're just looking to no longer limit it to just. MD. So
0: right now, on, on for any other situation or scenario, uh, advanced practice registered nurses or APRNs can do some of these tasks. They can do schedule to prescribing. They can act as primary care providers for patients. They can do a variety of different referrals, etc. It's just that they're not allowed to be officially. The provider for this act, but they can pretty much do all the do all the requirements underneath the act.
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't even say pretty much; they absolutely can. The ones that would be allowed to, if if this bill passes, <laughs> forgive me for my family members, um, are are definitely are authorized <laughs> to do everything.
0: Well, and then in that case, one of the advantages is that it would allow us to expand the opportunities, particularly, as we mentioned, those people who might have difficulties finding providers or finding you need more than one provider. You need a secondary provider to agree with the diagnosis that is terminal, and there are a couple of other provisions and requirements, so it would allow them to also participate as providers Providing that secondary backup. You know, I think to myself, mm-hmm. often we have physicians who work very carefully with APRNs in a team-based approach, and wouldn't it be to the, to the patient's advantage to have that team assess them and give them recommendations and allow them to participate fully with the Our Care, Our Choice Act? So it sounds like that's really yeah. a way to encompass different types of providers in a way that will allow them to coordinate and collaborate together.
1: Correct. Yeah, and, and at what you alluded to, Hawaii is unique in another sense, and that is that we do require a third provider, which is a mental health counseling, to basically make the assessment that the first two providers make, um, that the patient is capable uh, of making their own healthcare decisions, um, and so yes, to to allow APRNs that have that um, psychiatric training to do that portion of it just just further opens up the potential uh, care team that a patient can work with.
0: Well, it is all about the team approach. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Aubrey Hawk, an advocate for Compassion and Choices Hawaii, about the different provisions and ways that we can help expand access, but also the third barrier, and that is, knowledge about the act and the availability so we're going to continue our discussion after just a few moments stay with us
1: support for the body show comes from the hpr local talk show fund which helps hawaii public radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows mahalo to contributors native books and pcat pacific center for advanced technology training
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Aubrey Hawk on the line. She's an advocate for Compassion and Choices Hawaii, and we're talking about the Our Care, Our Choice Act and the provisions in the medical aid in dying legislation that allow for individuals who are terminally ill with six months or less to live to access the availability of medications that allows them to choose if they want to end their suffering earlier then it may happen on its own. Now, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about two barriers, one of them being the potential delay and requirement of a waiting time of 20 days, for which there is now a thought, maybe reducing that to five days could be to the advantage of patients and not necessarily decrease any of the requirements of the different actions that have to take place to make someone eligible. And we also talked about The idea of allowing advanced practicing registered nurses who are already authorized to provide a lot of these services to participate fully in helping to provide the needs of their patients, particularly as part of a care team. One of the other areas that I think is a barrier, but we're working on that right now today, Aubrey, you and I, (laughs) is knowledge about the law and its availability. And I know when it first was passed, there was a lot of information that was out there, and there were some easy ways to access it, and it was sort of top of mind for a lot of providers. And here we are a couple of years later dealing with the world with COVID and all these other challenges, and I have to say that, you know, it doesn't seem to be top of mind anymore because I think people have just had a lot of other things going on, both from the patient perspective and from the provider perspective. So what are some of the ways that people can get more information if they if they choose to look into it further? Are there reputable websites they could go to or places that they could go to get more information?
1: Sure. Um, the Department of Health has a fantastic uh, webpage. If you just Google, Department of Health, Hawaii, and then Our Care, Our Choice Act. Um, Their their page and pages are excellent for both the healthcare-consuming public and also for providers. It has all the forms that providers need to fill out um, and the timeline and all the eligibility requirements. So that's the Hawaii Department of Health, Our Care, Our Choice Act page. And then I work with Compassion and Choices Hawaii, And Compassion and Choices is a national organization that um, advocates and educates for better end-of-life options. um, The whole spectrum, it could be planning and living with dementia, it could be, you know, just um, all kinds of different things. And medical aid in dying is, is one area that we focus on to try to get laws passed or improved. One thing we've found is that in the states that do have a medical aid in dying law, um, access to hospice and to palliative care services goes up because there is that awareness. It starts the conversation about, well, hey, I do have some options at the end of life. Medical aid and dying is just one of them. And there are many others. Um, if we just start talking about it, then then the, the door of knowledge opens up for us. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. I, I was just delivering a talk in front of a conference of local nurses and afterwards a couple people came up and they're like I did not even know we had this in Hawaii. So even our own healthcare providers are still learning about it and we as patients can often be the first people that get them to really you know take notice and take the plunge to educate themselves.
0: Well, it's a challenge and I hear it because patients also they bring it up to providers and it's our job to take a look. And we've you know, for so many different things if someone asks me a question and I've never heard of that, whether it be a medication or something they saw on T V, You know, my first thought is, well, I better look into that. So this Uh is another one of those areas where if you find that you have a knowledge deficit, there are some great resources to get more information. You mentioned the Department of Health website. You mentioned that Compassion and Choices has a website. You know, and, and two things that I think bear repeating. You said, you know, in states that have this... Hospice and palliative care services increase. So I know in the very beginning there was a concern that maybe those types of services would be replaced by this. And, in fact, what we found is that it becomes actually an expansion of the different choices and options that individuals, unfortunately, with the terminal diagnosis, have more choices than they did before. The other aspect is not everybody who requests the medication takes it. And sometimes just sure. having that available is what gives them a peace of mind to know that if their suffering ever gets to a point where they can't handle it, they do have another choice.
1: Thank you. And that in itself is palliative care. Um, we, ha- I have had patients tell me, I was so anxious, I was so worried, afraid, and then when I got my medication in hand, I could live again. And so those precious few weeks and months that they have left, they are able to live to the fullest without that fear hanging over their heads. So we are working on uh, our bill is House Bill 650 in the legislature right now. It's gone through seven hearings, various versions of this bill, and passed them all. So we're just waiting for some floor votes, and um, we hope this is the year that more people can actually have access to this compassionate law.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like there's been plenty of opportunity for legislators to ask questions, seven different hearings. There's been a lot of availability for people to understand what parameters. And, you know, I think it was very brave back in 2018 for this law to be enacted. And at that time, some of the restrictions that were placed were done so with the best of intentions. You know, one of the things that I often think about is when you're crafting something new or when we mirror it after other states, there's always going to be some unforeseen consequences that we don't anticipate. And part of what we're looking at is a revision after having had this available for the last few years, addressing some of those consequences, not necessarily to criticize the original law, because it was great when it was passed, but there may be some revisions. Lots of things are different when we get into a real-world scenario.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Very true. And no. I do want to thank our, our lawmakers who have been very brave uh, and very compassionate. In particular, this year, uh, Representative Della Bellotti, Representative Troy Hashimoto, Senator Keohokolole, Senator San Buenaventura, and Senator Moriwaki have just been fearless on behalf of these suffering patients, and we could not do it without them. So, shout out to our wonderful lawmakers.
0: Well deserved. Where do you think we need to go in the future? Let's say that this passes. Are there any other revisions that we should really look at making?
1: You know, um, the, our own mental health care providers on this law will say and have have written that, that the, the third mental health evaluation is completely unnecessary. Um, no other state requires it. Um, the first two providers do that kind of assessment already. Um, However, um, if that's what needs to stay in the law in order for us to have a law here, we do have a lot of compassionate mental health providers who have stepped up and who have ended up not being as as the bottleneck that we feared. It is, however, just one more appointment, um, which is just really, it's really a burden for patients to have to, you know, just run around doing all of that. Um, Other than that, the law is great, just need to get more people educated.
0: All right. Well, you are helping me work on that right now this evening. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That's Aubrey Hawk. She is an advocate for Compassion and Choices Hawaii. If you want more information, you can always head to the Department of Health website or the Compassion and Choices website. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.